HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Alberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 1 o'clock. Joined, as usual, with Natasha the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? I'm sick. Yeah. Are you on the mend or not? You were really sick so. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little bit better? A little bit better. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, you over there? I'm here. You wanted to... Uh, before we get going, Jack wanted us to plug some of the new stuff. For those of you... Uh, I don't know whether how people listen to this, whether they're listening to it on the Heritage Radio Network, which we encourage, or uh, whether you're getting this off the iTunes or whatnot, but uh, at the Heritage Radio Network, we have a fairly new uh, format on our website that allows you to pull up kind of little blips and bleeps and blops of what we think are newsworthy uh, things from our various programs, uh, organized by subject along with some you know special presented and curated things by... Uh, Jack and the crew over there. So why don't you, why don't you give people a little, uh, little, little taste of what's going on over there? So what you want to do is just go visit the homepage every day and click one of the pieces. Should we listen to a, to a one-minute or two-minute piece of you here? Well, I mean, they're about to listen to a whole, you know. I guess they're about to hear you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got, you got someone that's not me that you can show them a little clip of? Oh, someone that's not you. Yeah. yeah, we'll get that after the break, maybe. Let's kick into the show first. All right, we'll do the show. Call in your questions. Two seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven a two one a two eight. Uh, by the way, last week I was told that uh, uh, I never got to this story with where we were doing the thing with Ferran Adria. Oh yeah. So he's doing this show at the at the drawing center, and they were doing a, a fundraiser for the drawing center. And I think it was uh, you know uh, images, sketches of foods and ideas and plates and stuff from uh, his notebooks, right? I, I didn't see it. Did you see it? Nope. 
Anywho, Ferran was there. I didn't really say, I didn't say hello. Uh, not because I me, mean, he doesn't give a rat's patoot. Anyways, I didn't say hello. But it was like uh, Thomas Keller, uh, Daniel Balud, uh, Dan Barber. Uh, who, who else? I'm missing. I'm missing. Ah, whatever. Oh, Dominique Ansel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a whole you know. Oh, uh, Mario Batali, mm-hmm. our buddy. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, a whole cast and crew of uh, folks there cooking this uh, fundraising meal. $5,000 a plate. $5,000 a plate. Uh, and we made cocktails. Uh, so anyway, two of the cocktails that uh, we put there, they're from my book actually, my upcoming book, which I think I think the title is set now. It's, I think it's called Liquid Intelligence. Not my title idea, my publisher's idea. Yeah, tell me what you guys think. Although Liquid Intelligence is actually a technical term for a kind of – well, I don't want to get into it. Anyway, so the um, – uh, Anywho, so I do two – this is where the story comes in. So we're sitting there. We're doing – that was Piper's last day as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Piper. Piper is no longer yeah. with us. No, no longer with the company. Uh, we wish him wish him well. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so it's our, our last uh, event with Piper. We're sitting there. Thomas Keller comes up. He's like – you know, we're, we're plossing. We're busy. You know what I mean? Uh, we're not really plossing. Just, you know, prepping, whatever. Uh, and he goes, uh, so you guys, is this going to be good? He goes, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I never know whether something's going to be good or not. You know, I hope. I plan. I try to make everything as good as possible. He's like, well, you've done all these drinks before, right? He's like, well, you know, two of the ones are, one, you know, drinks off the bar menu. Uh, and two are, you know, ones that I've never served in public before. He's like, well, that's really, that's really stupid. That was your mistake. He's like, you know, never go to an event and, and uh, do something that you haven't done a, a bunch of times before. I was like, damn, I just got called out as an idiot by Thomas Keller. So I was pretty psyched. I mean, like, you could do worse than getting called out uh, as an idiot by uh, Thomas Keller. Am I right? Mm-hmm. You weren't even – like, Stas was too busy prepping, so she didn't even – I don't even think she was paying attention to that. Yeah. Right? No. No? Mm-mm. No. And then right after that, we did an event at our friend Galen <laughs> Quinn, who's the person who shifts me to Columbia every now and again, the, the country, not the university, which, by the way, as everyone knows, you spell Columbia with an O. It's not spelled like Columbia University – or like Columbus, the guy. It's Colombia. For some reason, Americans, maybe, is it New Yorkers or all Americans that can't get that right? I don't know. I have no idea. On the menu of Booker and Dax at one point, because we had a drink called the French Colombian, they put it up as like the French went to Columbia University. <laughs> strange, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, strange. I don't get it. Anyway, I don't know where. Oh, yeah, so we were doing an event at, um, you know, uh, uh, that restaurant, uh, Feel Food. Right, not Phil Bravo food, feel food, and uh, Phil Bravo, by the way, who none of you have heard, but someday he will he will regale us regale us with his mellifluous uh, voice and his uh, Thurl Ravencroft impressions. Mm-hmm. By the way, those of you who don't know Thurl Ravencroft, Thurl Ravencroft, uh, not only the uh, song in the Grinch, uh, Boris Karloff, the voice of the Grinch, but Thurl Ravencroft, the uh, song, the also the same guy who was uh, did the Monster Mash voice and. Wait for it, Tony the Tiger. And Phil Bravo does an unbelievable Tony the Tiger. And, you know, he's just a, too much of a jerk to come on and do it for us. Because I want him to come on and do the They're Great, but the Sad They're Great. This, Phil Bravo doing a sad Tony the Tiger They're Great is like, you know, life changing experience. They're great. But he does it with like this, like the super low, eh, whatever. I don't know. How the, how the hell they get into this? So we're, we're at Feel Food, right? Oh, yeah, I remember. So they go to us, hey, look. We're getting these products in from South America, these fruit purees. That, like, we want you to use cashew fruit puree. We're like, all right, I like cashew fruit puree. So we made a drink with it. Uh, the problem with cashew fruit uh, puree 
cashew fruit in general is it has what I always call kind of a phenolic-y note to it, kind of like a plasticky nose to it. Tastes good, but has a pl- we mixed it with gin, and then uh, uh, and then we covered it up with, with this chuncho amargo, which is a Peruvian bitters, right? And we liked that drink. We thought it was good. And you even liked it, even though it had gin in it. And Stas, I'm not going to call her out on this. In other words, all I am calling her out right now is not a fan of gin. But I'm not going to berate her for it. I'll call you out, but I won't berate you. Like other things, like biscuits, for Christ's sakes. But, the, uh, but then the other one, they're like, we want you to use one of our nut milks, right? So, like, but they're not like nut milks like that we make, which are like straight ahead, like, you know, nut, like milk. Hemp, what was it? Sunflower seed and hemp. Like fresh, cold pressed, like nut milk stuff with no stabilizers, by the way. So we made a drink with that with rum. What was it? Rum, coconut water, and that nut milk. And it was pretty good. And like some simple syrup and, and uh, lemon juice, right? Lemon juice. So Stas and I are like, Stas and I are like, we're going to kick this gin instantly. Because it was done in a blender and it was like all slushy is good. We're going to kick this thing instantly and we're going to sell maybe two of these nut milk drinks, which is how it would happen if we did the event with our normal crew. Those health food folks sucked down that hemp milk like it was, I don't know. I don't know what. Stas has a hemp milk face on. pregnant lady. Wow. That, well, that was you. I, I serve no pregnant lady. Stas was I like, ser- well, Stas was like, hey, look, it's insisted, so. all right, all right, whatever. I said the alcohol first when I described the drink to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was a, an English she was speaker. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I said it very clear. Yeah, and wh- wh- how did you describe the ingredient list? It's not safe. It's not safe for work. <laughs> oh, if you could only read Nastasha's lips right now, people, we would no longer have a show. Uh, the uh, okay, so uh, we have some questions in. Uh, oh, by the way, we had a question, remember last week, a uh, calling question on uh, tofu milk, uh, soy milk, and beaniness. And I said I would uh, research it, and I did. Uh, and very interesting. I had a, we had a, um, a, uh, a tweet in pointing out – now listen, a uh, person's name is Fun, and I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble even saying this person's Twitter handle. I will say it because it's not technically a curse, but I want you to know, sen- senor or senorita Fun, as the case might be. Uh, you're putting me in a bind. It's Inshallah six six six. So this is theoretically could be an offensive Twitter handle, right? Okay. I don't know. It's like a mix of like of Inshallah and six six six. What's Inshallah? You know, like God, God you know, God willing. We're oh. gonna do X, God willing. Oh. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Stas is not offended. Stas doesn't care. Stas doesn't care. She's like, you know, Stas is the queen of not giving a rat's. Like she's like. Uh, I, what's like the queen insens- insensitiva? That's, That's her, like true. completely. Yeah, she whatever. But I don't even don't even get me started, please. Don't get me started. Anyway, uh, fun. Thank you for calling out uh, the uh, shirt leaf. As I've mentioned like a zillion times, I you know have uh, you know um, their tofu book. That's you know the famous tofu book. But uh, they came out with a second one called. Um, oh man, what the hell is it called? It's called to- Tofu and Soy Milk Production, a technical guide. It's much harder to get. I don't have it, but they sent me information. And according to Shirtleaf, now this is like 1979, 1980, but I'm sure the research probably still stands. The beaniness is primarily caused by uh, fat oxidation, right? Uh, lipoxygenase enzymes, I believe, right? And the answer to – there are several ways you can get around. Uh, ha- so what happens is, is that the, you, you – you take soybeans and they're fine and then you blend them and all of a sudden oxygen and broken cell walls, broken cells 
and you know the blending of the bean puts the enzyme which formerly was not in contact with either oxygen with neither oxygen nor uh, fat gets put into contact with oxygen and fat and very quickly creates those beanie notes that you get in soy milk all right so now someone said you can take the hulls off their you know, their parents took the hulls off and indeed it's it seems likely from looking at the composition of uh, soybean that that would actually help decrease the the flavor some uh, the beanie flavor somewhat uh, also using defatted soy meal although that's just not the point like the, like if you're asking me how to make it you're probably not going to be using defatted soy meal right Let's, you know you probably want to use whole soybeans which is what I want to use so that's one option because if you remove the fat, there's no substrate for the uh, for the uh, lipid oxidation enzymes to work on, and therefore no no beanie flavor, right? Third option is to keep the is to grind hot. So uh, what Shirley says in the book is, is that if you if you are grinding the soybeans and the temperature of the of the water in the blender never goes below 80 degrees Celsius. Right then, and you and you maintain that eighty degrees for I forget it's like five to ten minutes. Then you will destroy, denature the uh, the lipid oxidation enzymes. But you uh, with and that's it, boom, without affecting the um, yield of the tofu or or the flavor of the or you know or soy milk. You won't affect the yield or the texture of it. Whereas if you were to just cook the soybeans beforehand in simmering water at 80 degrees long enough to deactivate the um, enzymes before you blend them, it can adversely affect the texture of the soy milk. It can make it gritty or chalky because you're um, swelling at the, the cells and the components. And it's not going to break up the same way as if you grinded them before they had been cooked. Does this make sense, Daz? Mm-hmm. Okay. So – so what do you do? The trick is is to use boiling water and in your blender and to not add any more soy to it than what would require to drop the temperature down below boil. So as long below 80. So as long as you are adding small amounts, right? So normally when I'm making soy milk stars, I blend the soybeans in a relatively small amount of water in the blender so I don't have to blend too many batches and then I dump it into a relatively large amount of hot water. Right, and remember the reaction takes very place place very quickly. So you can't grind quickly and then dump into boiling water. It doesn't work. So it seems to me that the best way to do it. Now the the, the problem though is, is to take larger amounts of water, have two boiling pots of water, and do smaller batches with higher amounts of boiling water, and then dump them into your into your boiling pot and keep the thing above eighty for the ten minutes. The only downside here is um, that. It might be hard to get good particle size if there's too much water to soybean ratio because there's not as much solids for your blender blades to act on if it's too uh, liquid of a slurry when you're blending. You know what I'm saying, Stas? Mm-hmm. So it's going to take some uh, t- some experimentation. But I had some other ideas. I don't know whether I mentioned this uh, on the air, but uh, it's, I had a couple of tofu questions a couple uh, months back. And then someone sent me the uh, Andrea uh, Nguyen uh, tofu book, and I read that. I started making tofu again, which I hadn't done in a long time. And one of the things that she said that was really interesting was that I never thought about is that you could soak your soybeans, and then you could save them for for a couple of days, like a week in the fridge, right, without grinding them or anything. Because the the real pain in the butt about uh, you know soybeans, uh, tofu, is the soak time beforehand. So if you want to make tofu, you know, it's like an hour and a half commitment or something like that. Uh, you know, not working all the time. But it's like an hour and a half, but it, but you have to know like eight to ten hours in advance, right? And you can accelerate the soak time somewhat by using warm water, but 
whatever, there's a limit, you know? Um, but then I, was, uh, I read this article uh, that says if you soak the soybeans and then freeze them, right, before you grind them with water, uh, then you, uh, you can actually uh, increase the firmness of the tofu and get a better they, – they say that in their texture test that people like it better. Now, it's denser. It's more uniform. It coagulates harder and faster with a slightly lower yield because it's, got, it's denser. Whether you like that more or less is up to you. Right, but it's interesting that you can freeze it and get a different textural effect than if you hadn't. And the reason is, is that it changes the conformations of the protein slightly. And they froze it in the article that I read. They froze it prior to grinding, so they soaked the beans, and then froze the soaked beans, and then just thawed the beans with the water in the blender and proceeded as normal. Now this won't solve your. If you're trying to make non-beanie tasting soy milk, this won't solve your problem. In fact, it might exacerbate the problem. But it led me to think that what you, you could do is soak your beans, then vac bag them and freeze them for a long period of time and then just have frozen vac bag soybeans soaked ready to go for soy milk, which might be awesome. It also might be possible – and I have to look up the numbers. I don't know – to inactivate these, uh, these enzymes, these um, lipoxygenase enzymes. Uh, at lower temperatures for longer periods of time in a vac bag, in, in cooking in a vac bag or even in the soak water. So let's say you had a circulator. Maybe it's possible to um, to cook it at, at a lower temperature, let's say 60, 65 Celsius before the cell wall is getting too damaged, uh, before the, the, the beans are getting too damaged, before you're doing too much to, to the – to the beans, and then uh, just do that for a long time, wipe out the enzymes, then maybe freeze and process as normal. I'm going to test like, – when I have a spare minute, which won't be for a couple of weeks, I'll be testing these things in drips and drabs, and I'll get back to you as I test them because that kind of stuff uh, uh, seems interesting. Anyway, long-winded answer to the soy problem, but whatever. I like soy. You know there's a bunch of people on the interwebs who are anti-soy? I think people are so nutty. There's a there's an article that came out uh, recently. I'll try to try to read it for you guys for next week. If you guys can tweet into me what you think about it, uh, there's a, a couple of new studies on sugar. More sugar is the devil kind of studies that are out. Like you know, like mark of the be- sugar is like the mark of the beast. And, and like you know, the the commentators on the TV. I haven't read the article yet. I didn't get a chance to read it. But the commentators on the TV are are just as rabid as they are normally. Like saying that you know trying to make some sort of differentiation between uh, sugar and fruit and sugar and sugar like and uh, you know more more like magic bullet we would all just be okay if we didn't have sugar but I want to read the actual article and if anyone could uh, see what they see what they think and tweet their uh, feelings on it uh, into me to help guide me uh, as I hopefully have time to uh, investigate that for next week's show uh, okay oh by the way Stas someone wrote in uh, uh, Richard uh, Kokovich wrote in Regarding uh, you not talking to, uh, you know, telling your friends that they were sticking their tomatoes in the fridge and all this other I stuff. I talked to them this weekend about it. You did? I did. And what happened? No, I said, <clears throat> isn't it funny how I don't tell you guys what to do with your food? And they said, yeah, <clears throat> because we all have really strong personalities and wouldn't stand for it. And I was like, true. That's really weak. Hi, I have a really strong personality, so I'm going to ruin everything. I walk around with my underwear over my head, and you won't tell me because my personality is so strong. I have a giant herb sticking out of my nose, and you won't tell me because my personality is strong. That's weak. Personality let, is strong. I'll let them all know. Uh, you should. Let them know that it is not a, a sign of strength to be an idiot with expensive food products and to treat them like crap for no freaking reason. I'm group texting it right now. 
Uh, and Richard agrees with me, and he says, it's perfectly okay to call out enemies of quality. Recently did so to a friend over, uh, because of oversteeping his French press coffee. Boom. What do you guys think? I get killed for this all the time. I can't even open my mouth around my friends. Yeah, but you know what? You know what? Suck it. If someone, like, uh, if someone were to say to you, uh, you know, if you were to do something like just like – it's not like – okay, look. If someone is – has some sort of horrible like thing that they can't help, right, then don't bring it up. That's, that's being a jackass, right? If someone uh, you know, can't do any better because they're limited in some way or they have bad knife skills, you don't walk up to someone who has bad knife skills and be like, man – you suck with a knife. You know what I mean? Because that's just being a jerk. And they can't help it because they don't have practice, right? Mm-hmm. But obliterating an ingredient for no reason when it's just as easy to not obliterate it. It takes no extra effort. In fact, it takes less effort to just leave the tomato on the freaking counter. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not the same. I won't throw the person under the bus, but I uh, tried to tell somebody that there was cooking time on a box of pasta, and they they called me, you know, pretentious, or said, you know, what's that all about? Wait, you're pretentious to cook pasta? What? Yeah, they were like, I just cook it by feel. That doesn't matter. Well, I tend to disagree, but like this is a separate subject. I tend to disagree often with the cooking times on the boxes. Stas, of course, who likes to you know basically crunch on raw pasta like like she's a rodent breaking into the box in the middle of the night. It also likes a less cooked pasta. True? I like less cooked pasta. I don't know about the rodent thing. Yeah, well, she hates rodents. That's why I compared her to one. She detests all rodents. True or false? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even like to eat rabbit because you don't like rodents. But the fact of the matter is, it's not pretentious to want your food cooked properly, Jack. Uh, it's just not. It's pretentious to tell someone that their food is bad because they didn't spend a lot on it, right? That's pretentious. Yeah. Like or thinking that you automatically know better than somebody else because you think about it a lot, pretentious. You know what I mean? Whatever. You know, if someone said to me, "You know what, Dave? Uh, no, you know what? I actually like the tomatoes in uh, the fridge because I like to go to the farmers market and spend four dollars a pound on a tomato and then convert its texture to a bunch of mealy, pulpy paste." I like it because I like that mealy, pulpy paste texture. I'd be like, "Pooh, all right, sweet." Just like my grandpa used to like be able to choose if you handed him like a nice wine and like giant jug wines blind, he would always pick out the jug wine. Not really, I don't think, because he liked it. Because I think he liked being a jerk and picking out the jug wine so he could distinguish them. So anyway, it's like if it's an actual personal it's preference. Like if somebody's thing. cooking for you at their house. Like, why are you going to bring it to what they're – like, enjoy the party. Enjoy talking to people about other stuff. Why are you going to go nitpick in their kitchen? Uh, excuse me. Presum- the presumption is not that you're sitting at a table. You walk into the kitchen as though it's a restaurant kitchen, open their fridge, and determine that they've stored their tomatoes in the fridge. It's – you're cooking in the kitchen with them. And I believe when not. we had the original you're discussion – it- You just see it from afar. Like, you're well, like you see it from a tiny afar? little apartment. And you're How do like, you see into their fridge from afar? Because you're sitting at the table and the fridge is right in front of you. Nobody has a really huge apartment like you, Dave. Oh, and- this is such a load of crap. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I lived in – I lived – by the way, people, well, people, wow. people, people, think people, back, people, people. Think back. I lived in an 800-square-foot <laughs> apartment with me, my wife, my two kids, a dog, and two hamsters. We're talking like old-school, like overcrowding situation and like 10 years of crap. 
Recently, I moved into what would be like still a small apartment anywhere else in the world, but a relatively large apartment for Manhattan. Yeah, but you still couldn't see into your fridge in the old apartment from the table. So I'm saying like apartments where the p- table is like you can't ever see the into fridge. the fridge when you're sitting at the table. Yes, Maybe there's one seat and you could see into it from the table yeah, where I was. Where have you been? What do you mean, where have I been? It's all my friends' apartments. The living room is the Jack, kitchen. Jack. Yeah. Jack. Let me ask you a question. Is your fridge oriented in such a way that when you go in, so if someone's sitting and actually having a leisurely conversation, this is this is classic Nastasha just coming up with BS argument. Or if you're sitting, that I have that have refrigerators okay. in the same room okay. where the t- table okay. is. Okay, I I I defy you to go into your fridge the next time you have people over. Uh-huh. Get casually get something out of it, close it, and then ask anyone at the table what was in your fridge. Okay. Who hadn't helped you cook. Okay. They hadn't been there. And say, hey, how much milk do I have in my fridge? Oh, geez, I have no idea because I'm not looking in your fridge. I'm having a casual conversation with my friends, not about food or being nitpicking. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom. Stas actually lives in her fridge, so she's got a little <laughs> bit of a different kind of a situation. Uh, okay. Uh, Josh writes in from Antigua. You know, it's like... The point is also – and you try to make it – whenever we have an argument like this, you try to make it into me – you always bend it towards me doing something jerky. If someone is cooking tomatoes for your meal and they've already ruined them, then yes, you don't say anything because you don't want to point out that they've ruined something that they're going to serve you because hopefully they're proud and happy to serve you food. Mm-hmm. If the tomatoes are in the fridge and they're incidental and they're not being cooked, that is when it's okay to talk to them about it. You don't tell someone ever that something that they're serving you is bad or degraded or inferior in any way because that is jerky. Okay. I'm over it. You're over what? I'm Like, I'm not angry. Uh, yeah, I'm angry because you purposely try to get me angry. I'm not by, trying to make you angry. Yeah, people, you have you no idea. You can't have a conversation you no unless idea. you win. You no, what? No, I have – look, look, when I'm wrong, what do I say? anything <laughs> say i'm wrong okay you're never wrong though i can't think of a time when you're wrong hey you said it not me <laughs> i say it all the time I, I, in fact like my favorite times are when i'm dead wrong about cooking recipes anything you know why because being wrong is the only way you really learn uh well, we learned here to keep those tomatoes out of the fridge just keep them out of the damn fridge keep them out at me look whatever i Look, a tomato that, like, certain tomatoes can withstand it much better than others. Those little grape tomatoes are fine. You know what I mean? Uh, But here's the other thing, Stas. Like, who has, like, a ton of extra room? If you actually cook, you don't have a lot of room in your fridge anyway. Fridge is always full of stuff if you actually cook, like leftovers, ingredients, all this other stuff. So really, anything you can leave out of your fridge is a bonus because fridge space is extremely limited. So is counter space, though. Well, but you're cooking. It's food, presumably. And once something's shoved into the fridge and you jam it in, you're much more likely to have it spoil and go bad because you don't even see it. I cook with things because I know that I own them. That's why I hate it when people come to my house and wrap stuff in aluminum foil and put it in my fridge because you might as well just throw it away. If you wrap something in aluminum foil and put it in my fridge, throw that thing away because I don't know what's in there. I don't know what's in that aluminum foil. Do you think that the people who come over and they put the stuff away after dinner, you think they label that crap? No. You know what I mean? Do you use aluminum foil for wrapping? 
Yeah, but we usually know what's in there and we cook it the next I have like four people in my house and it's very hard to keep track of all the stuff that's in there and like a lot of times I'm having seven, eight, nine people over with like tons of dishes and they get put away. So in my house, if it goes in there with aluminum foil, it, it's done. You know, um, that's why like I, you know, I, I much prefer like uh, quartz and pints because they're like in the eight ounces, like you keep them, they stack really easily for your small. Apparently, you know, I no longer know what it's like to be in a small kitchen, but like, uh, but like they stack very well and they uh, they take up less space in the fridge and they're completely reusable and microwavable. Although the lids are not. Mm-hmm. Do you use those things in your house? Mm-hmm. They're good, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have all three sizes? No. Just quartz? Or just like, pints? Like, yeah, just quartz. Yeah, I have all three. But I, I was brought to my attention recently that in like places like San Francisco, very few people use them because they perceive them as ungreen, I guess because they're plastic. But do you think they perceive them as ungreen if, we, if they knew that they were used over and over and over and over again? I don't know. I mean, do you perceive them as ungreen? I never thought about it. What about you, Jack? You're a relatively green guy. What are your thoughts wow. on the core containers? That's <laughs> green enough for me. Yeah, yeah, I use them. Yeah, I love them. And all, like, but they like outside of New York, a lot of times you don't, or you know, like like San Francisco, I had a lot of problems, like people telling me that they wouldn't use them. What? what? And, you know, I mean, like I use them, especially if I get like you know some kind of soup delivered, maybe like some Chinese soup, and you use that same core container and. Use it for other leftovers. Yeah, yeah, that's green all the time. Yeah, well, but but we buy them, and you know, like they get many, many, many uses unless they break or something bad happens to them, and they're right. polypropylene. They can be recycled. Whatever. Uh, Josh writes in from Antigua. Uh, Thanks for your help with my previous question on lobster cookery. I was wondering if you learned anything new about dry lupini beans, as I still have a bunch taking up room in my larder. And next to those beans are a few bags of quinoa. Do you like quinoa sauce? Mm-hmm. You cook it? Mm-mm. No. Uh, what about you, Jack? Well, you know, what I've been hearing is that we, there are some other better local grains we could be using than quinoa. Well, are you upset because the, 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 like, there was the rush on the quinoa and then the people who used to use it for sustenance couldn't afford it anymore? Right. Yeah. It's, this is the problem always with things like this is that it's like, you know, there's people with nothing and then all of a sudden somebody uh, wants it and then a couple of people get something who used to have nothing and then a bunch of people get shafted. Like it's a lot of like, like no-win situations. But let's presume that you can grow quinoa. You know, let's let's presume that like you know you're growing it in America or whatever, right? I mean, if you like the flavor of it, I I like it. But I haven't cooked it that much. We puffed it in the puffing gun. I would imagine that Stas wouldn't like it that much because it's got that weird curly Q look on it, yeah. and the curly Q is not your style. It's not. You know, I mean, like I, I know you well enough to know even because we've never discussed it before. But that curly Q, and for me. It's reminiscent of a sprout curly cue. It doesn't taste anything like a sprout, but visually it reminds me of sp- sprouts. Uh, and as we all know, I, I hate sprouts, uh, except except cooked mung bean sprouts. Okay, so the um, okay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the quinoa uh, hasn't been used because I find that no matter how much I rinse the grains, I always have several bites of cooked quinoa that contain grit. I am new to cooking it. Is there something I can do to fix it? Okay, so on the quinoa first. It's interesting. I looked up um, a bunch of references because I've only cooked it a couple times. Did not have that problem. Uh, but there are tons of references uh, on online, tons of things. For instance, www.veggieboards.com Help me cook quinoa without the crunchy bits, which is a very long thread in 210 about it. Um, and 
the solutions run the gamut from it being a brand by brand difference. Now, there definitely are some brands that appear to be much worse than others. Uh, but then some people said, you know, get the uh, Rob's, uh, whatever it's Bob's Red Mill stuff, right? And then someone else was like, I've never had a grit in that one. And then someone else was like, no, I've had grit in that one uh, back and forth. There's one person on one of these things uh, who uh, claimed that it's actually oxalate crystals because uh, calcium oxalate, which is, you know, uh, the same stuff that kidney stones are made of. Uh, accumulates in the leaves of uh, of quinoa, and someone said that it is that, but I wasn't able to actually verify that at all. I just someone made reference to it. Um, then another person said to not just rinse, but to do a wash with like a, a slurry, like you're rinsing rice, and then pour the quinoa, uh, you know, pour the stuff off the top, and eventually, after multiple rinsings, you will get uh, you will enrich the quinoa layer at the top. Uh, and the the bottom layer will contain all of the grit, um, possible. Uh, I would try uh, cooking for a very long, very long time in excess water and draining and seeing if the problem goes away. Because it might be possible that you're just not uh, uh, hydrating all of the things equally, and you're having an actual piece of uncooked quinoa, which someone else suggested. But that's easy to test because if you just cook in excess water, then you're gonna uh, you're gonna find out whether you were having a lack of hydration and you're getting crunchy uncooked quinoa, or whether or not you actually have excess grit. Um, so, anywho, uh, you know, and the problem with rinsing it out, obviously, is that the, the grains are so freaking small that it's hard to rinse out the grit because how are you going to – you can't, like, have it just fall through, right, Stas? So this other person, uh, GeoCook, in one of the things, uh, he, he or she actually gold panned it because they're a gold panner. So they sat there and gold panned the quinoa so that all the grit would fall to the bottom. So I'm sorry I couldn't be more help on that. But on the lupini beans. So lupini beans uh, contain uh, toxins, uh, bitter alkaloid toxins that you need to uh, leach out. Uh, and the fact of the matter is is that they make ones that are sweet, that don't have the alkaloids. But apparently people who like the lupini beans uh, – do you like lupini beans? Do you ever eat those things? I Well, they usually serve them like cold, like in a pickle or in vinegar, like on the table in oil. Uh, anyway, so uh, – so the steps, and I looked up a bunch of the things. You really don't want to take any shortcuts on it, and I've tried desperately to look for shortcuts on it. Uh, and I haven't done it myself, but I plan on doing it because I want to try it. Is you, you soak the beans overnight in uh, in uh, excess water, right? And so what you're doing here is uh, partially hydrating the beans, just like you would soaking a bean for cooking. Then you dump that water, and then you cook it in water, right? Uh, and they say uh, with salt. Now the cooking here is uh, softening uh, the the bean, cooking it so that water can get in and out of it, and leaching out some of the evil poisons. Then you keep you drain them, put them back in water, and then change the water a bunch of times to slowly over the co- course of uh, days uh, and days, uh, could be like a week or more uh, in water to leach out the alkaloids, and then you can literally just taste them, and when they're no longer bitter, when they're bitter to your preference, then uh, you, you pull them out and you, and you do whatever you, you want with them. But that's, that's how you do them. I want to try it. I kind of want to try it. But that's how, that's how, that's how you do. But I, it's kind of unbelievable to me that they sell them uh, and like no warning on them, that you can't just cook this like a bean. But the good news is, is that the reason you don't have too much lupini bean poisoning is that uh, apparently if you don't treat them right – they're horribly bitter. 
So it's not like you would be like, man, this is delicious. I'm going to eat a whole bunch of this and then die from the die from the poison. Although there there have been cases of uh, people who uh, were hospitalized due to uh, lupini toxicity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Dave, we had something really quick come in. Yeah, what's that? About kind of t- uh, you know apps and and techie stuff for food. Our, our people at TechServe showed us they've got a chef stand for the iPad and this eye grill thing, where like. You can connect via Bluetooth and see what temperature something's cooking in from another room. Do you have any other sort of like techie apps like that that you like look like using in the kitchen? I use the internets. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't really. No, I mean, I use. Uh, I haven't used any like the digital thermometers. I occasionally use like the sous vide dash, the one that PolyScience and those guys uh, did together with um, with those. But no, I, I mean, I use. I use like decent calculators, you know, like pretty decent calculators when I'm doing calculations for things. And I have my own stuff that I've written when I when I'm doing uh recipe development, but that's more on a computer and not on an iPad. But I'll think about it. No apps? No no apps. Oh look, I'll think about it. All right. I'll think about it. Hey, you want to go to a super quick break so we can do that thing before we have to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> We're going to play one right now. All right. It's kind of cheeky. It's called Field of Compost Dreams, and it's a short little news report from Heritage Radio. Tabard in. Tabardin.com. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Business. 2013 was a pretty good year for recycling legislation in New York City. The New York City Council approved legislation banning food service expanded polystrines, or EPS, or styrofoam. And also approved a bill that would require large restaurants and food manufacturers to compost. That's right. Require large restaurants and food manufacturers in New York City to compost. Sound too good to be true? Well, that's pretty much the case. Our recycling expert and founder of PlasticBagLaws.com, Jenny Romer, explains the piece of legislation. Commercial composting legislation requires that all large restaurants and food manufacturers compost. And... That doesn't take effect until the commissioner finds that there are enough facilities within 100 miles of New York City that will cost-effectively take composting. So what that means is the city will force these food establishments to compost when they have somewhere to send the compost to. Make sense? It's a field of dreams type thing where if you build it, they will come. It's creating a market for compost because right now there are companies that make these kind of facilities that aren't going to build them near New York City if there's no market for compost. But if there's a market developed, then they'll create them and then restaurants will have somewhere local or somewhat local within the region to actually compost. We got a little cut off there, but that's Whoa. that's that's the gist of it. Yeah, and so you get like these like curated little thingamajigs, right, on yep. various subjects. By the way, I don't know this, so I'm testing styles. Not the, the the not the process. The word compost. Give me some thoughts. It's okay. It's okay, mm-hmm. even though it's like says like compost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All yeah, right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and so, what was her plastic bag thing, by the way? Because as you know, I'm trying to kick the habit. I'm uh, 
I'm still, oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a whole other piece we did. She runs PlasticBagLaws.org, pushing for plastic la- uh, bags to be banned in New York City. Um, I think what what's going to happen first would be like a ten cent surcharge to the place, you know, using the plastic bags. So I, I think that would actually get passed on to you. So if you buy something at a bodega, it would be ten cents more. For Always the gets plastic. passed on to me, right? It? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, who needs plastic bags? Well, I mean, I'm trying to kick it. So, like, you know, like uh, places that encourage you to have your own bags, right? It's easy to uh, not to not use them because they push it. Some places, like, they auto put them into bags, like, you know, my local fine fare um, supermarket. Um, but, you know, the other issue is on plastic in general for this kind of stuff uh, – like it's very difficult to put your house waste – like I'm in an apartment. I have to use these small bags because they, things have to fit in my trash chute. And uh, what you look up is it's the supply of actual, for instance, completely compostable bags to use as trash bags at home, minimal. You know what I mean? It's like the stuff that they're selling. And that's why I don't even know whether the poop bags I use for the dog, like what, like how – like because a lot of these guys, they what they do is they make plastic that – just breaks up into smaller pieces over time. It doesn't really go away. It just turns into like plastic dust, which isn't the same thing as actually going back to the earth. You know, it's a, it, it's it's a difficult problem because we haven't like none of our systems are developed to um, to completely do away with uh, with the bags. And sometimes, um, you know, especially when you're sh- you know shopping large quantities, I don't carry those damn carts around me. I hate those freaking things. You know what I mean? Like I'd much rather – and if you've ever seen me shop, I'll carry like 15 heavy bags home and look like I'm lumbering like an elephant home rather than push one of those damn carts. Are you a cart lady? No. What about you, Jack? You a yeah, cart man? No cart. I'm, you know, 15 bags. I, I actually like that, you know. How right. Many, how many can I carry? Right. But the issue there is sometimes you don't know how much you're going to shop for. So like I always – my my actual shoulder bag is quite large, so like I can and I can unflap one of the flaps and turn it into a massive tent to tent stuff underneath it. But if all of a sudden you go over that and the place doesn't carry paper that's decent, then you're in plastic land again. Yep. Or if um, you know, like uh, you know, Whole Foods they'll put stuff in paper for you. But you better hope it doesn't rain on the way home. Oh, that's happened to me. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. Your host, because what are you going to do when? Because I walk home, right? Which is green, or walk or bike home. But then, if something rips when you're on a walk, you're done. That's it. You know what I mean? Uh, so, of course, plastic rips often as well. But so, Dave, I've got two callers. Let's take the first one first. All righty, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. It's Nathan from uh, Virginia. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, I had a question about. Uh, Articles, academic food articles, you mentioned them a lot, and I was wondering if you could point uh, us to a place to look them up. Okay, so here's the problem. Uh, Most of the uh, scholarly articles online uh, are – you have to have uh, like a username and password. You have to be associated with a university. Okay. Uh, I I may or may not poach somebody else's access to – uh, uh-huh. A university server to get on it. Uh, a lot of what I, I use uh, – primarily I use the search engine called Science Direct, which is um, um, 
a compilation of Elsevier, uh, Elsev- I can't put Elsevier jur- journals. But they have a lot of them, or I'll use uh, some like Wiley, or I used to use Blackwell Synergy a lot. And they're they're large aggregators of journal uh, files. And then if you're in a university setting, you can also usually do cross database searches for particular things. So it allows you to right. hone in very quickly on it. And then the the really great thing about these sites because they're built for researchers is that you can cross-ref, cross-ref. You, 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 know, you can look at their references and sometimes just link through directly. Sometimes, okay. if you have a really good public library, they'll have access to it uh, in-house, but they won't let you do it at home because they're all paid services. So some of these things, for instance, in New York, I can get at the NYPL, uh, New York Public Library. But you know, so, some you can't. But what I recommend is finding a friend acquaintance or uh, relative who is a professor at a major university and beg, borrow, and steal from them their online access codes to get into the uh, servers. And then you can get all all this stuff. Awesome. Okay, thanks. No problem. Hopefully I wasn't giving away to my my, – getting my, my connection in trouble. That's why I didn't mention who it is. Caller number two. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, yes, I've, I've been doing some sous vide, and I've gotten one-inch pork chops, put them into a vacuum bag with prunes, and dried prunes and dried apricots, mm-hmm. 145 degrees for six hours. The prunes are wonderful. They're nice and soft and mushy. I bet. Apricots are not. Huh. Why is that? And they're both they're – both, how is the pork – Oh, the pork's great. Oh, good. Uh, huh. So the apricots you're saying got got mushy, and the prunes? No, 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 the prunes got mushy, but the apricots are still, you know, very hard. Like they're not tough, but you know, it's not the same mushiness that uh, the prunes are. Right. But uh, what kind of uh, apricots are you using? Just out of curiosity. Um, dried apricots. But like, uh, like, a, like the the smaller ones, or like the big flat, like the Blenheims. Are the really sour ones, or the not really sour ones? They're not really sour. I guess they're probably about an inch big. Yeah, I know the ones you're, you're referring to. Uh, so my, you know, my only guess is that, um, I think the prunes probably have a higher moisture content to begin with, and so they probably break up easier and faster. Uh, and if you were to do like a light pre-boil on the apricots they might they might uh come out but i don't know i'd have to run some tests i don't think in other words i don't think they're being treated to um i don't think they're being treated to strengthen the pectin any right so you could pre-treat an apricot such that the um pectin would degrade much less over time but at the temperatures that you're cooking you're not really going to be degrading the pectin anyway you're going to be um Dealing with the kind of nat- natural mushiness and plums, I think inherently probably higher sugar and probably going to be mushier. And that yeah. ap- apricots might benefit from some higher thermal temperatures, like above eighty-five or so. That's really going to break down uh, Celsius. Going to break down, you know, uh, the structure, the pectin structure. If that's what's that's what's holding it together. So you might try like a little pre-treatment on the uh, apricot. Maybe not even in like a like maybe just a little bit of water in a separate bag. You know, just simmer it for like 15, 20 minutes, pull it out, and then add them to your recipe and see whether that helps, although it's an extra step. But, yeah, uh, extra step. I, I've been sort of playing around with it. I've been soaking, and I you know, preheated some apricots, but I don't know what the sweet spot is, so I'm still trying to figure this out. And I thought I got it 
pre-done enough, but then my my prunes were wonderful, but my apricots were not, and my son suggested I give you a call, and, <laughs> so and I, he, he, he thought pectin, pectin breakdown, so that probably is it. Yeah, I mean, you could try to, the problem is, is that, let's say you were to cut the, one of the things on the apricots, that the kind that you're getting are whole apricots, right, skin on both sides, so you might want to cut them in half such that you have access to the center more readily, so you're not trying to rehydrate only through the skin. Uh, the other, the other thing you might, uh, I mean, you could try like a pectin degrading enzyme in there, but I think it's just going to get mushy. I don't think it's going to make the texture nice. I think it's just going to like kind of create a mushy layer around the outside. That's my guess. Um, when you say you pre-treated the ap- the uh, apricots, like what do you just like put them in like uh, like boiling water for like five minutes to let them soak up, like in a teacup or something like that? Yes. Yeah, and that didn't help it. Uh, it helped a little bit, but not enough. Yeah. So, and I'm trying. So I'm trying to determine what I really should be doing. What the sweet spot is. And they're not chopped. You leave them whole. Um, I cut them in half. Yeah, you already cut them in half. Jeez. All right. Well, you know what? Let's see whether anyone out there has any experience with this. Uh, and then, you know, if we hear anything back on Twitter, so someone sends to at cooking issues on Twitter, like their experience. Because a lot of times, I'll get people. They listen. They have a, a solution. They'll they'll you know tweet in, and then I can talk about it on on the next show. But off the top of my head, you're doing what I would do. I would pre-treat in hot water, uh, maybe even pre-cook in a bag, cut them in half. Uh, those are all good good steps. You know what you could do that's not that uh, hard is put uh, cut them in half, put them in the vac bag right? that you're going to use for the, uh, for the pork with yep. a, a little bit of liquid. Remember, it doesn't, there's not going to break down that well without liquid to help break down the pectin. It takes a much higher temperature to break down the structure of the uh, apricot when it's dry than when it's moist. So you, whatever liquid you're going to put in the bag, which shouldn't be too much because it's going to taste poached, but put them in just with the apricots into the bag and then immerse the bag in simmering water. Just make sure you don't melt it, right? You can do a light seal on it, whatever. And then just cut open that first seal after it cools down. Just cut open that first seal and then put your pork and prunes directly into the bag with the apricots so you don't have to futz around with a bunch of different bags. Vac and reseal and then cook that. Sounds good. I will try it. All right. And then uh, if you can, tweet to at Cooking Issues and tell me what the results were so I can figure out whether any of this stuff works. Okay, terrific. Will do. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So Paul, quickly, Paul Paul wrote in and said, hey, I was thinking about getting myself a second copy of uh, Harold McGee's The Curious Cook, but saw two different looking versions on Amazon, Amazon UK actually. Uh, uh, see the screenshot below. Do you know if they're actually the same and if they're different, which would you recommend? Thanks, Paul. I was going to get uh, Harold to come on, but he couldn't. He's in meetings all morning to, to say it. But one says, The Curious Cook, taking the lid off kitchen facts and fallacies. Uh, and that one has a non-standard cover on it, and that one's from 1992. The original, The Curious Cook, More Kitchen Science and Lore by Harold McGee, November 1990, is the only one I own. That's the original. The other one's probably a British uh, kind of uh, a printing of it that was done a couple years after the original. I'm going to try to uh, ask Harold exactly what the difference is between them, but I would go for the good old-fashioned, honest-to-good one that's just the black cover with the yellow thing that says The Curious Cook. More kitchen and science lore. That's the one I would go with. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna cut us off. We got a second. Yep, we're cutting you off. All right, William McGee, not the other, different McGee. I'm gonna get your French fry stuff, and Rodney, I'm gonna get your coconut flour next time. Cooking issues. Thanks. For-
for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.